Hello and welcome to the Elevate Music Podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman and in today's episode we're going to be talking about mental health in the music industry. I'll be talking to Nina Nesbitt about her experiences as a singer-songwriter signing to a major label and now what it's like working as an independent. And then we'll be speaking to psychotherapist Tamsin Embleton, who is the founder of the Music Industry Therapist Collective, about her work in this field. But to begin, let's hear Nina's story. When I got signed the first time, I was 17. I, within a week, had gone from singing in pubs and, you know, like to five people, posting a video online, to suddenly being asked on tour by, you know, big artists such as Ed Sheeran, example, and suddenly being in front of like 5,000 people. And then next thing I know, I'm in London. I'm on an arena tour with Example. That was my second tour. And then I kind of got signed off the back of all of that. So I had literally come from nowhere and was suddenly signing to a major label. I'm being asked questions that I don't know the answer to, you know, like legal things. It was really stressful, but also really, really exciting. And, you know, the adrenaline was crazy. I was just absolutely buzzing that it was all happening. And and yeah, I got signed to the major label and they were great. For the first maybe couple of years, I just wrote songs really and put them out. And I didn't really know who I was at the time. And I feel like, you know, at a major label, you have like an A&R and like a whole team around you to help you figure that out which was helpful in the beginning. But I think at the end of the day, like any successful artist that you see, like they know who they are. So I was just very confused because I would go in and be like, you should be like this or you should be more like this and try this, which might be helpful for some artists. But for me, who was quite easily led, I'd say I was just like, okay. So I ended up just really confused. I feel like my first album, it just feels a bit like a jumble sale to me because there's so many different styles and... It was just really hard to know and I feel like there was so much pressure as well. It was like, you know, I was being compared to artists that had sold millions of records because there was like industry buzz and I signed like a very competitive deal. They were like, okay, we're expecting this for this. And I don't know, maybe I put a lot of pressure on myself as well because I thought I need to live up to the expectations. So did these challenges impact on your mental health at all? Well, when I first signed and was doing the tours I basically had really bad anxiety as a teenager Um, when I was in my last year of school I struggled to even go into school near the end of it that's why I left early and I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder when I was about 16 and no one I knew around me had anxiety or knew they had anxiety maybe they did but Everyone was kind of like, oh, like, what's wrong with her? Why can't she sit in a classroom? Like, I I would sit in a classroom and literally feel like my throat was closing up and that I was about to die or have a heart attack. Um, And it was terrifying because I didn't know what it was. So I was convinced there was something wrong with me. And it kind of got to the point where the only time I felt, like, calm and that I wasn't going to have one of these panic attacks was when I was at home listening to music or writing music. So that was kind of my therapy. And I kind of had that figured out, it was getting better. And then obviously all this kicked off. I would go to these like arena tours or whatever and be on stage. I remember the first was like an academy size tour. So it was like two and a half thousand people, which is still like a lot of people. And I was there supporting example who is like dance music sort of. DJ music and he raps and sings over it so it's like it's a pretty hardcore crowd so I'd be there on stage and be like oh my god 
like I'd start thinking about the crowd like what do they think about me my mind would be racing off I'd start having these negative thoughts and then I'd get really dizzy and like feel sick and my mouth would go like really dry and I'd be like oh I need to get off stage and sometimes I don't think anyone knows but like I would come off stage maybe 10 minutes early because I like I literally couldn't be on stage I guess it's stage fright but I noticed that my anxiety levels sort of came back I'd feel sick like I wouldn't want to eat anything before I went on I just kept myself so busy that I didn't have time to think um, which I've noticed myself doing again seems to be a bit of a pattern (laughs) I feel like that kind of helps me cope with pressure So what happens when it stops and you come home? Well all hell broke loose so (laughs) I threw myself into the next record was desperately trying to get music out writing it every day And then it kind of got to the point where I wanted to go down a different direction to the label and I kind of noticed that anything I was handing in, they were like, yeah, like, keep writing. And I'd be like, God, like, is nothing I'm handing in good enough? Because no one seems to be excited about putting anything out. Um, And it got to, like, two years later and I was thinking, right, it's been two years now. I want to put something out now because this is getting ridiculous. Like, it's been two years And I feel like, you know, all the fans that I had built up are starting to go away and look at other artists because I'm not putting anything out. So I was still in full belief that the music was coming out. I had a song called Chewing Gum. So it got sent to radio. I announced it online. Um, Everyone was really excited about it. I felt so excited about putting it out. And we booked in a music video. And the night before the music video, my manager calls me. She's like, oh, it's been moved back a week. So I was like, okay, like, no worries. Like, any reason why? And she was like, oh, it's just, like, legal reasons. And I was like, okay, fine. And then the next week, she calls me again and she's like, okay, I need to come and talk to you. They want to drop you. This has totally come out of the blue. Like, I thought we were working on a record together. And then it kind of turned out that someone in the finance department had looked at, I don't know, how much was spent on the first record or whatever, And they decided that they didn't want to spend the money again. So I was like, okay, that is fine. I just wish that you had told me two years ago, maybe. This song's been announced now, so I can't just not... Like, that's publicly humiliating to be like, oh, actually, the song's not coming out anymore. I guess, like, a part of me was like, this song's going to come out and I hope it's going to do really well and they're going to change your mind. So I guess I was kind of holding on to that, like hope that that would happen and yeah I had to fund that with my parachute so a parachute is basically what a major label will give you if they drop you so most people have that in their deal so it's like a sum of money to sort of like cover damages I guess Um, so I had to use my parachute to put that song out and pay for the video which was kind of annoying because you know I hadn't done anything for two years Mm -hmm. and financially I was not in like the best position so that was also a bit of a stress so then I left and to be honest it was like a very mutual thing because I was like you know this isn't working for either of us I put a statement out online which is probably a bit naive and immature but I was really angry and basically just told people like I've taken my career back into my own hands blah blah and the support that I got from fans was amazing And I'm really lucky to have that fan base. But I kind of noticed, like, slowly but surely, like, some friends were sort of dropping off. Producers didn't really want to do a session. People were cancelling on me. And, like, looking back now, I totally get it. Because as a writer, you want to write with artists that, you know, 
are signed on a major label. It's a, it's a business, it's your work. But at the time I was like, oh my God, like no one will work with me. And that was kind of upsetting, obviously. It just made me feel like, oh, I mustn't be very good because I didn't understand the business side of it. And I slowly kind of slipped into a depression, which I'd never experienced really before. You know, I've been sad on and off, but I'd never actually experienced being depressed. I basically would wake up and just not want to leave the house. I was just kind of sat in my room. For about six months, I just didn't really do anything. I think it's hard when you're a solo artist as well. You know, I don't have like a pseudonym or a band to hide behind. Like it's me, like Nina Nesbitt is my real name. I am fully myself as an artist. And it kind of felt like not only is my music over, and my career's over and I'm embarrassed about that. Also, like, me as a person is over and, like, I'm embarrassed to be me. Like, I want to change my name or something. Like, I just didn't want to be me, which is kind of weird. And, like, I kind of look back now to when I started and wish that I'd maybe created myself a name so I could learn to separate it. I would definitely recommend you know, younger artists to think about doing that because when things are going great, you feel on top of the world because you're like, everyone loves me and my music and it, this feels great. Like I've written these great songs and people want to be friends with me. And then when things are going bad, you're like, oh my God, like people hate me and my music. It's very hard to separate it. So I kind of just felt like an embarrassment and a failure personally and professionally. I text my manager about it. I was like, I don't think I can go to sessions. Like, I'm literally so upset every day for no apparent reason, apart from the fact that I feel like my life's over. And she was like, okay, what you're experiencing is actually being depressed and it's completely normal. And she kind of talked me through it, spoke to my mum as well. I'm really lucky to have like those female role models. I have a really supportive boyfriend as well. So I found that talking to him, because he'd actually been through the exact same thing which is very lucky for me at the time and they all kind of talked me through it and you know just made me aware of what I was feeling was actually normal and it wasn't that I was imagining it or I should be embarrassed about it it is normal and how did you come through that it took a long time and I was like right okay I need to sort this out I need to stop going out all the time. Stop drinking four times a week. It's not going to help anyone. Stop sitting inside. So what really helped me was actually just going out, walking, running, exercising, being like surrounded by nature really helped me. I don't know if it's because I'm from a very rural area. Maybe that was refreshing for me. Just walking, going out around like calm places diving back into sessions with people. I did a lot of writing sessions and I got assigned a new publisher who was amazing at BMG. Her name's Kira. And she was like, have you ever thought about writing for other artists? Like, why don't you give that a try? So her and my manager were booking me in sessions and I was going in with these like, you know, young developing artists, a lot of female artists. And although it was very hard because I kind of see myself in a lot of them, it also felt good because, you know, a lot of them would ask me questions about my experience and I felt like I could give them advice and work with them and, you know, really stop thinking about myself for a second and just help other people, which That's felt amazing. really good. Yeah, so did that for a long time. The more and more time that went by, the sort of like 
clearer my head became and through just diving into work and working with other artists and taking the pressure off myself I actually ended up writing an album through that and being like oh like I love these songs and then my first cut was with a country band called The Shires and I remember getting three cuts on their album and just feeling like oh my god like I mustn't be awful like I must be all right and it was the most amazing feeling I went to see them play my song live and I'll still remember I was like welling up just like oh my god like this is my song and see like the audience loving the song and just thinking oh my god it's not me I'd gone to CBT when I was 16 and I'd found that really helpful but to be honest when I was 16 I felt like I was experiencing anxiety disorder like anybody would and now I felt when I was depressed in the music industry I felt like it was a very specific thing I felt like it was very situational and I didn't feel like going to the NHS as wonderful as they are would help it probably would have but personally I was like I don't know how anyone is going to relate to what I'm going through because it was so specific and I felt like actually just talking to the people in the industry who understood what I was in would be more beneficial and I definitely found that you know speaking to my manager or other like writer friends was really helpful and I also you know I'm an only child so I'm very used to my own company and sort of like dealing with my own problems so I found like just writing myself was really helpful just to get it out and then listen back and you know maybe a few weeks later listen to it and be like oh my god I felt like that and I found that really helpful and also I kept a lot of diaries so I would write a diary entry maybe like once a fortnight of how I was feeling honestly just written down and I would write a lot of goals um, things that I wanted to achieve like short-term goals there's also something quite powerful I think about being specific about what it is you're after and where you're Mm -hmm. going I think that can be really helpful when you're feeling quite lost Yeah, I just found it so helpful. I made mood boards. I had a big pin board with images all over it. I just dived headfirst into it and it really helped me. Mental health in the music industry has been quite a big topic over Mm. the last few years. Do you think your experiences were typical? Yeah, I think they are because a lot of artists that I know have gone through exactly the same thing. And it's something that at the time I feel like you think it's forever and you think your career's over and especially with female artists that do pop I feel like it's a major thing because it's very competitive and I feel like maybe not so much now but when I started it was very much like you have a shelf life till you're like 25 that is literally what I was told and how I was felt. How do you think the industry could support artists who are dropped? I feel like it would be good for them to have someone to talk to. I'm really lucky that I had a manager that has been there since day one that helped me sort of get through that in terms of somebody in the industry. But I know a lot of artists that just turn to like drinking and drugs and or just give up and move back home. And it doesn't need to be that way. I think like a lot of people go to me, oh, but yeah, but you've done it, but you're really strong. Or But I'm like, yeah, but... I've been through the exact same thing as you and it definitely wasn't easy and I do think it'd be good to have someone to talk to that actually understands the industry. It sounds like you're in a much better, healthier place now. What would you say some of the major challenges are that you face now? What's interesting for me is that I'm winding down this album campaign now 
And this album campaign has literally done more than I ever imagined it to. Fantastic. I'm absolutely blown away by it. It's almost had half a billion streams. Oh my goodness. Yeah, which is wow. just like insane. And yeah, I'm so, so grateful for that. And it's just really like made me realise that literally anything is possible in this industry. But obviously it doing well has <laughs> sort of put more pressure onto me for the next one and I'm putting that onto myself. So it's just a way of like, how do I manage that? Would you consider yourself healthy now? Yeah, definitely. I think I've learned last year I was on tour for about a year and a half continuously. I would come home for wow. maybe a week at a time. And I was doing too much. So I realised that as well. And this year I'm really trying to sort of protect myself a bit more, you know, have a day off, do something that you want to do. It doesn't involve music. So I think I'm definitely learning a lot more about that. You've mentioned about having a day off. What other things do you do to stay healthy? I really like sleeping. <laughs> I know it sounds simple, but I try and get like eight to 10 hours sleep a night because it honestly changes my mental outlook on everything. So what advice would you give if someone was about to start out in the music industry now in terms of looking after their mental health? What would you say? It's very helpful to know who you are before you enter the music industry and make sure that you're ready for it. I think deep down when I started, I knew I wasn't ready for it and I just didn't want to pass up on any of the opportunities. So I think make sure like you've developed and learnt your craft played all these small gigs that you don't want to play you know just make sure that you've got good people around you a good team as well I found it very helpful having a female manager because I feel like she has experienced very similar things to me and she's sort of part of the family really so I think that's really important and don't compare yourself to other people. I think, you know, sitting on Instagram looking at other artists is very tempting. Oh, what are they up to? What have they done? But at the end of the day, like, I hang out with a lot of these artists and they're all thinking the same thing, like how to break through or is the music I'm putting out good enough? Is it getting enough streams? Like, everyone's facing the same thing. So I think try not get carried away with what you see online and just work hard and love what you do. If you love what you do, then you'll be happy. Fantastic, Nina. Thank you so much for coming. It's Thanks. just been fascinating to hear about your experiences. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. The Elevate Music podcast is produced in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare services, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access that support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Thank you for your feedback so far on our first episode. Hannah Marie Gatt has tweeted us and said that this is so insightful, I'm going to be sharing it with my students. Thanks for your honesty and wisdom. So thank you very much, Hannah. If you want to get in touch, please email us at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or you can follow us at elevatemusicpod on Twitter and Instagram. For the second part of this episode, I spoke to psychotherapist Tamsin Embleton, who worked for many years in the industry as a booker before retraining as a musician's psychotherapist. I used to be events manager at Metropolis Studios. I booked a festival called Standing Calling, venues for Mean Fiddler and Killer Bee. And after a kind of interesting light bulb moment on tour with Anna Calvi in Europe in 2010, I decided to retrain to be a psychotherapist. So I work with artists and industry, consult for various companies and charities, 
and yeah, set up this MIT collective, the Music Industry Therapist Collective. So we are a group of therapists, we work in the UK and the US, and we've all had experience in the industry working in recording, labels, radio, etc. as artists. And uh, we work one-to-one or in group situations, in person and online. And we're writing a touring and mental health manual with lots of input from artists and other experts in the field. So, yeah. Could you tell me a bit about the light bulb moment you had with Anna Calvi? Yeah, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. So we were touring with Brian Demand, so that's Nick Cave and a lot of the Bad Seeds. And we were having dinner in a restaurant in Leipzig in Germany, in a Chinese restaurant. And I was in therapy at the time, as was Nick. And we were talking about our experiences in therapy. And I suddenly went, wow, I wonder what it's like to be a musician's therapist. And then after a series of events, I worked with a coach and... And we realised that actually it was quite a good fit for me. So, yeah, I started to retrain. Amazing. So can you tell me about some of the challenges that you see in your work that musicians face? Yeah, sure. It's really broad. So all the issues that we'd usually see in therapy, like insecurity, identity issues, depression, suicidality, bereavement. A lot of artists we're working with have quite complex needs. So they might have experienced deprivation, neglect, trauma or abuse in early childhood. That can result in things like PTSD or maladaptive coping strategies like addiction, eating disorders, or perhaps they've had a diagnosis of a personality disorder or schizoaffective disorder, something like that. So there's those kind of issues that we would see clinically anyway. And then there's all the issues that can arise from a career, so stress and burnout, anxiety that's being exacerbated by work schedules, job uncertainty, career transitions, band breakups, the pressure to gain and maintain success, whether in negative press, online trolling, bullying, stalking, trauma and abuse, and the kind of Me Too movement that's just sort of starting to happen in the industry. My goodness. So how do you even begin to support a musician with those issues? It really varies kind of depending on the client and their presenting issues. So at the MITC, we have an assessment lead, John Bassett. So he'll assess the client and pair them with the therapist that meets their needs in terms of speciality, gender preferences, budget. And then we all have a slightly different way of working, uh, different orientations, areas of expertise, But really, the focus is on getting to the core of what's really troubling that individual. So the relationship between the therapist and client is really key. If the relationship isn't there and there's there's no trust, then the work can't deepen. You know, it's a collaboration, really. So for me, as an attachment-based therapist, I would look at family dynamics, experiences that have impacted someone's growth, how they experience themselves in the world, their relationships, how they cope in times of stress. So you mentioned budget needs there. Mm. If a musician doesn't feel they're able to afford therapy, are there any options for them to still access services? Yeah, there's a couple at the moment. So we have Wonderful Help Musicians and we have the PRS for Music Members Fund. At the moment, the focus is on short-term care. So it's crisis management, maybe short to medium-term issues. So there is a bit of a funding gap that we're kind of thinking about at the moment. But yeah, there is some support out there. So we heard there from Nina and her experiences. In your experience, how common are the issues that she faced? I think it's really common, unfortunately. I've got a couple of artists I'm working with at the moment who are struggling with the kind of fallout of having been very suddenly dropped by the label or the band or the manager. And there's usually kind of little explanation and no aftercare for kind of that fallout. And it can really impact you, you know, the industry is all-encompassing so your sense of who you are and your support network is usually within the industry and so when that's wrenched away it can be really devastating so you can be left with low self-regard identity issues issues around belonging and relevance 
So there's a big loss of not just the role, your job, but maybe your identity or a sense of abandonment by the team. So you can be left feeling really hopeless and isolated, rejected and ashamed. So we've heard a lot about mental health in the music industry over the last few years. What would you say is one of the major causes of that? Well, I think there's a bit of a clash between, you know, the industry asks artists to be vulnerable, but also resilient. And it's a really big ask. And, you know, we're not really teaching artists how to cope. So it's a competitive and unpredictable industry. You have to weather all of these really unpredictable ups and downs, long hours, exposing your art for others to critique. You know, there's a lot of pressure to gain and maintain success, pressures to self-promote and network, and a lifestyle that, of course, has a lot of access to drink and drugs. So you think about that context, and then we have artists who have pre-existing issues that make them particularly susceptible to suffering. So, you know, they use their music or their art as a way to express and process and cope with pain. So if we put those two things together, we've got very vulnerable, troubled people in a highly stressful environment, which can obviously exacerbate underlying issues and create new ones. So how can you create more resilience in musicians? Well, I think resilience is one of those buzzwords we hear a lot about, and it's it's quite a long process, I'd say, you know. I mean, I think it's a journey inward as much as it is about thinking about the environment. So it's kind of really getting to know yourself and your sore points and your limits and, you know, learning how to put boundaries in and feeling comfortable with saying no, which can be difficult if you're, you know, feeling quite insecure about your job. You know, you want to say yes to everything or feel like you need to be constantly available. That idea of boundaries, how do you put boundaries in place if there's a power dynamic going on? So if you're a musician and you're struggling with maybe the workload and Mm -hmm. you feel that the label has the power. Have you got any advice around asserting boundaries in that kind of situation? Yes and no, because I think it's always an individual kind of set of circumstances and relationships. I think, you know, having a supportive manager is very, very important and really having a very open relationship with them, which also involves boundaries from the manager's side because it can be quite a complex relationship. I think learning to say no, you know, that can be quite challenging you can start to say no to the little things and see how you feel about that and sit with learn to sit with the anxiety of what that might kick up for you so nina spoke about some of the challenges she faced with regards to her mental health on tour Mm. i know that's something you've done some research on could you Mm -hmm. tell us a bit about that so you know i worked in the live industry so i'm quite passionate about live music and touring and i find touring really fascinating because it kind of combines these potentially very deeply rewarding highs on stage where you can feel like all your insecurities are melting away and you know you get that euphoria of performing perhaps and feeling connected to and together in that moment then there's the in-between times and they can be fun and full of camaraderie and adventure but they can also be intense flat detached lonely and depressing so you're away from your normal kind of coping strategies and support networks And then, of course, there's all sorts of different issues that happen on the road, like performance anxiety or conflict or issues with addiction impact your relationships back home. You know, trying to maintain a relationship when you're away all the time with your kids or your partners can be very difficult. So some artists struggle when they're on the road and some when the bubble bursts and they return feeling very exhausted and dejected or realising that they've actually developed these dependencies or addictions in order to cope. Are you able to support musicians when they're actually touring as well as when they come home? Yeah, absolutely. We try and maintain that relationship. It's different working online. Occasionally we might go and visit somebody if there's the budget and the availability to do that. 
But yeah, keeping up that relationship, I think, is is really important. You've then got a space where you can really kind of offload and make sense of things and you've got a reliable relationship. But, you know, we're going to be talking a lot more about teaching people how to identify and cope with what happens on the road in the manual. And that will come from kind of both sides as well. So teaching tour managers how to open up conversations about mental health, you know, how to spot the signs of drug-induced psychosis or, you know, someone withdrawing and maybe help them to kind of meet the needs of that person at the time. Fantastic. So how do you think musicians can look after their mental health and prevent problems from developing? I think firstly, I don't think that the onus should be solely on the musicians taking care of themselves. That's only one part of the puzzle and it's a really important one, but we also need to change the environment that they're working into. So we know that musicians are at very high risk of depression, suicide, addiction, anxiety. So, you know, hopefully I can see the industry is talking a lot more about it, but, you know, if they can think more about duty of care and how they can preserve their workers' best interests and promote kind of healthy, sustainable careers, then that's one part of it. And then on an individual level, you know, really get to know yourself, find out where it hurts, where are your vulnerabilities, what are your triggers, put money aside for when things are quiet. Learn to listen to the signs that your body is telling you. Find out how it responds in times of stress. Take breaks. You know, there's all sorts of different things. But I think above all, you know, remember that you're much more than your job. So maybe think about what would happen if I took that label away? You know, how would I cope? Mm -hmm. Who would I be then? What do I have outside of the industry? If someone's listening and they're currently going through a challenging period, where would you recommend they go for advice and support? First of all, I'd say you're not alone. Uh, You know, a lot of people do struggle with careers in the industry and many people find their way through it. So there is hope. I often think of this wonderful quote by Joe Oakley that was quoted in the MMF Guide for Managers. There's no point having a dream job if you're going to let it kill you. And it's just so to the point and so succinct and, you know, you deserve care. And there are people out there. So we've got these two helplines, Music Support and Help Musicians. Give them a call. They can signpost you to services. You know, we've got BAPAM who have a directory, obviously the MIT Collective and the financial support that you mentioned earlier. So find someone who can listen and, and who kind of gets it. Would you say you're healthy? Well, I recently read that the World Health Organization's definition of health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. And I thought, okay, with that definition, how many of us are, you know, that word complete, how many of us can claim that we're healthy? So that's my disclaimer. So I think, yeah, there's something about defining and measuring health that can be problematic. But I would say I know what I need psychologically, emotionally, socially, physically, in order to feel satisfied and supported in my work. Are there areas I could improve? Absolutely. And there always will be. You know, as a therapist and people that work in caring roles, having regular supervision, I have my own therapy, have a really good support network, go to a lot of gigs. I'll put the candles on and do candlelit yoga. I'm experimenting with some other bits and bobs at the moment, like acupuncture and vitamin B12 injections and things that are supposed to help your body to regulate and calm down a bit. Are you finding they're helping? Yeah, actually I am. It's kind of of strange. I wasn't expecting because I I hear a lot of these things from artists and I thought I'd give this on a bash, but actually the vitamin B12 thing is helping more than I thought. Really? I think it's that anyway. I mean, you know, it's not a controlled experiment, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's just interesting to hear the things that work for different people. So finally, to end on a positive note, what do you enjoy about your work in this area? I absolutely love it. You know, I feel really lucky. I've found a way to combine mental health and working with musicians on a 
personal level, you know, I've always loved having deeper meaningfuls and uh, so it feels like quite a natural fit. You know, you're trying to create this really deep connection with people so they can share their kind of innermost, most challenging, dark thoughts and experiences with you. I'm witnessing them finding their voice and discovering their truth and, you know, reaching a place of self-acceptance where they feel really alive. That's remarkable. It's, I feel incredibly honoured to be part of that. It's really powerful. Thank you so much to Tamsin there. That advice was absolutely fascinating. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode, you'll find links and signposting to all the appropriate services in the podcast's description. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment and subscribe on iTunes as it helps other musicians find us. And of course, you can let us know your thoughts on social media at Elevate Music Pod. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Wise Buddha in partnership with Help Musicians. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time.